All right, welcome to a special edition of the Startup Stack Podcast. Today we're at the studios of Trifecta Systems again. Thanks out to them. Thanks, a shout out to them. Um, they do organic meal delivery. Uh, startup right here in Sacramento. Today's special edition is a diversity uh, edition of the podcast. And with me in the studio, I've got some friends, some entrepreneurs here in the Sacramento region to do a kind of a round table or, or rectangular table discussion about diversity in the Sacramento startup and technology community. So with me in the studio here, I've got Victor Patton, who is the reporter writer for the Sacramento Business Journal, Dante and Dominic Morris from the Startup Hoop Maps, Veronica um, Smith from Seed and the Sacramento City of Sacramento Economic Development Department, and Michael Purnell from Seavent and Nicholas Hastings from Square Root Academy. And we may have uh, Mariah Lichtenstern joining us. Uh, a little later on. But uh, I'd like to now turn the time over to Victor. He's agreed to moderate this panel. So without further ado, Victor, take it away. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Uh, so hey, glad that everybody could be here today uh, when we're talking about diversity. And uh, Sacramento, I've looked at some recent statistics here. Um, we, According to the website Smart Asset, uh, we are ranked first in the nation for ethnic diversity in terms of uh, STEM uh, careers, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the work, our workforce here. And you know they cited government initiatives uh, that further fair hiring practices and the city's uh, innovation and growth fund, which, cur which currently stands at four 14 million, is possible reasons why uh, we are coming number where we're number one in terms of like diversity in our stem workforce um, but I know that obviously uh, numbers can only tell so much of a story and I think it's great that you're all here so we can talk about you know what the reality is in terms of like diversity in our tech sector here so you know anybody can answer this question you know how is our how is Sacramento's technology sector doing in terms of diversity are we you know hitting the mark is there need for improvement or um, how's it looking um, anybody have any uh, thoughts on that well I think there's always room for improvement um, there's ample opportunity um, in the city of Sacramento which is what I think keeps most of us on this panel here um, but in terms of being poised for growth, most definitely. Do we have a long ways to go? Most definitely. And I think that my counterpart, counterparts here that are um, more embedded in the tech space can kind of speak to some of the um, areas where there's room for improvement in terms of having access to VCs, um, having access to um, networks and spaces to advance some of the technologies that they're working on. Um, but with that, you know, I'd like to hear maybe from, from, from Dominic, since you're so embedded in uh, the app that you're creating and growing your tech company. What are your, your thoughts there? Oh, yeah, I'm Dominic. <laughs> 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 no, but no, you're right, though. Um, like us right now, we're in a stage where we are, you know, searching capital to grow our business. And we do, you know, oftentimes do look outside of Sacramento just for the simple fact of, you know, what, what fits us. Uh, Sacramento, for, it's good that it's small and that the tech scene is budding. But when it comes to diversity, there it's, I would say it's the same challenges like anywhere else. You know, it's still a smaller number of, you know, I don't, seen VC firms, but yeah, Kwame with the was Angel Fund, and there's a couple resources available, but it's the same thing where kind of got to cash a net out there and see what catches. But I think the beauty is, is that um, ownership, you know, ownership is everything. Now that we have like people that's co-founding startups that are people of color, they know the perspective. So when we do hire and bring people on, we have that you know perspective to open up the door more. Absolutely. Great, great. Anyone else have any thoughts about uh, how we are doing in Sacramento in terms of diversity in our technology sector? Um, I think it, yeah, it's uh, it's the same. Sacramento, even across America, is, is sort of the same. We, we have an issue, but we have room to grow. Um, I think one of the things that we can do is we need to highlight the the tech founders who are who are doing successful, like Hoop Maps, or Square Root Academies, or Cement Media. Highlight them more and make sure they're out in the newspapers and highlight their success stories so that we can inspire more um, more would-be entrepreneurs out there in the community to, to get out and start their own tech companies. 
Cool. And then, Michael, really quick, what Steven, you know, what, what does Steven do? Yeah, so Steven, we show you the money and fun at live events. So pretty much we let you see the money uh, before your event starts so it can help you with the upfront cost or, or anything that you need instead of waiting until afterwards. And also we help you sell out your tickets faster with the affiliate program. Excellent. And uh, Nicholas, tell us really quickly about Square Root Academy. Oh, sure. <clears throat> well, Square Root Academy, we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to exposing our youth to the fundamentals of STEM. Um, guess I'll let you know what STEM is, just in case for those listening who don't know. Right. STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So we make sure that we're doing this for our community completely at no cost to our students. Um, and we do it in the communities of the people that we actually serve. So we want to make sure that we ensure full access to our students and then to the people that are educating our students how to teach STEM. <coughs> great, great. And Veronica, tell us really quickly, tell our audience here uh, what you do at the city. Um, I'm a, a senior project manager um, that is focused on economic development in some of our most underserved communities. Um, and I also have a dual role as acting director of the uh, Seed Corporation, which is a, a private nonprofit entity that's focused on uh, development um, and attracting investments in underserved communities. Excellent, great. And uh, Dante and Dominic, tell us real quick about Hoop, Hoop Maps. Sure, Hoop Maps is a mobile app that allows people to find pick up games in your area. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much a sports tech company where people could connect communicate and really get together to find basketball games in the area. Mm, excellent. Great, great. You know, one thing I just kind of want to throw out there is that I'm a reporter for Sacramento Business Journal. I cover technology, um, been doing it since uh, November. So I go to a lot of technology events in Sacramento. Um, few times a week you know I, I go and I see what's going on and you know in terms of diversity I, I do see some diversity um, you know I, I recently went to the Founders Institute um, meeting and uh, saw that it, you know it was a very you know much of a representation of what I think you know the Sacramento's population looks like but you know the, I'll be honest there's been a few times where I've gone to some meetings and I've been kind of like the fly in the buttermilk right <laughs> you know, to, to use a, a, a a phrase that was uh, coined by Greg Tate, you know, um, so it seems like, you know, like there is, you know, I, I do see the visually that there is some diversity. I think obviously the fact that you're here is proof of that, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, you know, some, I see there probably is room for improvement, but, you know, being, you know, African-American people in the tech sector that are, you know, running your own companies and making a big difference in the community, you know, is it, is it tough, you know, sort of like, um, when you're in a room and you know you don't really see a lot of you know of our folks you know that that are in the technology sphere, how do you get over get over that? Is it a challenge at all? Well, you have no choice. Mm. <laughs> right. We we don't have the luxury of having the option to just poof. Here's another person that looks like me in this right, room right, with the same skill set. Um, <clears throat> It's, it's something that you pretty much have to get over when you're in this room. For example, when I was in college studying mechanical engineering, um, I think in my graduating class of 100 students, there was about two other African-Americans. Um, in my time spent working in industry, there's only been one firm that I've been at where I haven't been the only African-American there. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I guess I'm a little confused about that diversity yeah. <laughs> being here in Sacramento because if it is here, I don't know where it is because in my industry experience, I haven't quite seen it. Interesting. Yeah, even uh, for me, um, I used to work at Intel, and it's they're, they're working on the diverse matters, but it's still, you know, sometimes you're only one of the few African-Americans there. But for me, I, I don't really find it challenging. I feel like for us, we definitely got to bring our A-games no matter where, where we go. And, you know, once we bring our A-games, we can show the world who we are, what we can do. And, you know, um, business is business at the end of the day, so the best people are going to win it. So we just got to have that right attitude when we come in there. Right, right. And I just want to, let's uh, welcome uh, Mariah Lichtenstern. With uh, Sinashare, she just walked into the room. Hey, Mariah, how you doing? Hey, Victor. Hey. So, uh, you know, tell tell our audience here about uh, what you do with uh, diverse, diversity and uh, your Sinashares. Okay, so Mariah Lichtenstern, I'm the founder of Sinashares and Diversity Ventures. So Sinashares is a marketplace for the motion picture industry, and Diversity Ventures is an impact-oriented venture capital firm. Excellent. And uh, Mariah, the question that's sort of on the table right now is, um, you know, being in a, in a sphere where sometimes, you know, we walk into the room and we might be the only African-American or the only person of color, you know, how do, how do you get over that and how do you deal with that? 
you know, situation, you know, or is it an issue even? It is so funny because I was thinking about this the other day. I'm, I'm multi-ethnic, so I identify as black, but also multi-ethnic. So what is that called? The, um, someone had mentioned in diversity talk that there's a, a, a name for that when you find yourself sometimes as a woman or as a person of color, there's like different contexts that you find yourself in. But because I am multi-ethnic, my parents were Caucasian, my whole family, my community that I grew up in, I'm very much used to that. Mm -hmm. um, and you want to think that when you walk in a room, it's not going to be an issue. But then what happens is when you're confronted with the issue, whether it's a one or two or five out of a hundred times, then you're like, oh, oh, it's still an issue. So you kind of just deal with it when it comes. But um, I like to think that you kind of hope that when you go into a situation, it won't be an issue, and then you confront it when it is. Right. And it's uh, about looking at it. I, I look at it as opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think about meeting Mariah um, and, and others in Sacramento um, that were in this space. It's like, what can we do together to um, put us on the map? Of so course. to ensure that there are more of us in the room. Exactly. So it's about the collaboration and building together um, as opposed to individually, because if we're not trying to bring other people um, on the journey with us, then it will continue to be one of us in the room. And there's a, a challenge both with women and people of color when there's a scarcity mentality where mm -hmm. you feel like if there's only going to be one at the table, it's got to be me. Yeah. And I think historically we've we faced that. And I think we're at a point where people are starting to value and appreciate diversity and, you know, see the results um, in terms of bottom line to where there are more seats at the table. And so maybe that affects, you know, our willingness to collaborate yeah. on a psychological yeah. level. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you were gonna say. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I just wanna add on your point and what Michael was saying earlier. It's uh, I think it kind of go back to more about the publicity, like you know having more outlets, having more you know writers, you know TV shows, um, venture firms, more outlets to where you know we could kind of get recognized, you know, more than in just a traditional place. And I think if you know create more of those and you know more discussions like this, and we'll see more of us out there, and we wouldn't just be a fly on the wall, like you know we'll be. Kind of everywhere we could kind of own our own events absolutely yeah you know one so one issue i think is that everybody has a different idea of what diversity even means right because uh even though you you, know, you might look up the dictionary definition and it says one thing but what that word means to every different person is going to have a different meaning like to me diversity would mean if you look at a population of people um in a workforce the workforce should match that population right the geographic population but to someone else you might have like uh, 10 people in a room right and it's like if you have one african-american one asian person um you know one uh, hispanic person and the rest of those folks are white and two of them happen to be women that might be diversity to some people right um if you live, live work in an environment where you know it's majority black and you know there's you know maybe like two or three people who are not black some people might say that's not diversity you know other people might say that is diversity so you know i just want to throw out there what does diversity mean to you guys the word i mean what what does what does that word even mean because it has so many different you know permutations depending on who you're talking to i think it's confusing mm. like, i take it as confusing like usually when people say diversity I think they mean black, but they don't want to say black. <laughs> so then they mix in like women and um, all different other ethnic and uh, social groups. But I think it originally it was meant for black, but it's used for every other minority. Right, you know? right. And mm. Kind of too, to add on to what he said, I think what diversity is, is kind of tokenism instead of like a reflection of what you know the society's supposed to be right so right, a lot exactly. of people take it as so if you have one person of color then it's diverse but mm. in actuality you know diverse could be 10 people and maybe one person that's white you know so it's kind of to me the meaning is tokenism but it's not really reflecting what diversity is and i don't right. understand the 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 use of uh Chief diversity officer. I don't understand that position because it's <laughs> don't it just seem it seems real insulting to me. It seems like it's a position 
made for the company not to get sued so they can get their quota, right? Right, you know what I'm right absolutely. That's a good it's point. It's like $80,000, you know, expense a year to make sure that they are doing <laughs> fair hiring practices. But I think it's it's made as a shield so they could not look at that company and say mm. they're practicing. And so it's it's sort of like it's a it's becoming sort of like a, a corporate thing to sort of like meet a quota to avoid particular yeah, litigation or something. Maybe but. some PR and hopefully ideally it's to be a bridge to signal to the community that you know we're interested in welcoming creating a more diverse workforce. But a lot of times those cultures are already so toxic that I mean you just look at the comment section right of any diversity article or you right, hear about the backlash that say Google yeah. um, experienced internally when they started announcing diversity initiatives so a lot of times even with the chief diversity officer um, people still don't believe that it's going to be hospitable and I think I mean let's just acknowledge uh, and maybe you've discussed it before what happened recently in this country with Charlottesville um, where people are like oh wow it is an issue and we're like yeah it's been an issue but it's been covert mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. now you see it bubbling to the top, but we've been saying that we're experiencing this. So if we don't see those signals from the outside that a culture is going to be hospitable to us, why would we subject ourselves to that? Right. Um, for me, diversity means variety, and with Diversity Ventures, one of our catchphrases is that we're capitalizing on diversity. But one of the things I notice in um, engaging in the diversity discussions is that some people also think that diversity means excluding certain people, mm. particularly like white men. So for us, we like to say diversity includes you. So for us, diversity just, it could be geographic, it could be economic, it could be um, gender or ethnicity, but even among us, there's so much diversity. So it's really like, you know, uh, there's, there's a multiplicity, it means variety. And um, sometimes there's a problem because the uh, demographic is not reflecting the community. So there's different ways where diversity becomes a problem and it really depends on the context. And I think in the, in the state of California, we've, uh, we used to have affirmative action mm -hmm. and so now we have this term called diversity that is being used across channels to uh, address something that we can no longer legally address <laughs> in a way that it was addressed uh, many years ago so I think that that's why it's confusing because it's being used in a way that really isn't if you look in the dictionary like it, it wasn't designed to be used for what it is now being used for given the topic of this discussion <laughs> that we're having today. So. Mm. And I think diversity, I mean, it could be subjective to anyone, but I think when it comes to diversity, you need to have a diverse team. You need to have people from all walks of life on your team because no matter what, if you have people from all walks, all walks of life on your team, then you're able to um, know and understand their culture and that's like more business for you. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't have a basically an all white team, all white male team trying to target African Americans. They don't know. They're not going to hit it. I mean, if you got uh, two or three or four or five or just you know just uh, a bunch of people who are diverse if they can hit different markets and that means a better business for you so I think that's something that Google definitely needs to figure out because <coughs> I mean if, if not that, that's not going to happen then maybe you know African-American team out in Atlanta they might create the next Google and they might lose out so you never know. Well it's interesting you bring that up Michael because I just have a statistic here uh, studies conducted by McKinsey and Company uh, show that there's a linear relationship between ethnic diversity and financial performance uh, studies indicate that for every 10% increase in ethnic diversity on a company's senior executive team, earnings before interest and taxes rise 0.8%. In addition, companies in the top quartile for ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have financial returns above their respective industry medians, while companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industry medians. And this is according to uh, McKinsey and Company. So mm -hmm. even there are even studies that show that, you know, it, this isn't just something that's uh, a moral issue. This right. is also uh, an uh, economic right. issue yeah. and possibly an, an issue of, you know, why comp companies, it would be to their advantage to diversity financially, not just, just morally. Yeah, and there's been studies that have shown that part of the reason why companies perform better with diversity is because it helps to eliminate groupthink. And mm -hmm. so they've done studies that were like in, in juries and in other contexts. And so if you have like a, a more homogenous group, they're more likely to kind of have the same POVs and not challenge each other. Whereas if you, I mean, look for example at the movie Hidden Figures, mm -hmm. right? It's just, you know, it, it may just be a different way of thinking that comes from an unexpected um, perspective. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's... 
what makes it so beneficial. And then it also reduces barriers and it increases, you know, the comfort zone. And we're then able to tap into, you know, those those valuable but maybe um, underutilized perspectives. Absolutely, it just seems it just makes sense. Um, diversity, lo logically. Um, at the core of what we do at the Academy is innovation. At the core of all, what we all do is innovation in some regards. Um, to have innovation without diversity seems a little contradictory. If everyone, like you were saying, is thinking the same way, there can't be any new ideas derived from that. Right. So of course you need to bring in different people from different walks of life that have different experience, that have a different perspective. Otherwise it's just not going to work. You're going to stay stagnant. You're going to stay exactly where you've been the entire Miss opportunities. Yeah, right. There's opportunity cost in, in that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, also, you know, just while I'm on the topic of um, of studies and numbers, um, you know, so even though diversity is, you know, the numbers show that, that you know, and the studies have shown that, you know, this is for the the benefit of companies. Uh, Barry William, Barry A. Williams, she's the head of a North American business operations for StubHub. She wrote an article earlier this year titled, The Tech Industry's Missed Opportunity, Funding Black Women Founders. And she was citing evidence by First Round Capital. Um, she wrote that uh, founding teams, including a woman, outperform all their all-male peers by 63%. Still, female CEOs only get 2.7% of venture funding, while women of color only get 0.2%. So, um, you know, it seems like there's a disconnect there with the investment side, right? And even though the numbers show that you know it's to the company's benefits to have di diversity, the investment, you know, as far as like the founders, CEOs, especially black women CEOs, they're not seeing the investment. Why is that? Do you guys have any thoughts on why that might be? Um, what's going on? Well, there's a number of different factors with regards to that. <coughs> It's, um, it's been something that's been understood in the African-American community or black community for a while, um, that we have to work twice as hard to get half the recognition. So it makes sense that, of course, these women, these African-American women are performing better and getting better results and getting so little recognition. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's already understood. Um, yeah. I don't know. It goes back to economic empowerment, though. Like, we got to look at what outlets are there available. You know, if we always go to X amount of venture capital firms and you look across the table and they're all white white males, then, of course, they have a whole different, you know, perspective, no matter how good your idea or business is. So it goes back to how many black venture capital funds, how many groups where we could fund our own, you know, resources and get our own, like, you know, home run out there. So I think it goes back to, you know, getting a lot of money, putting it together as a group, funding entrepreneurs and making it happen on our own. Yeah. And I think as entrepreneurs, we need the, that's where our focus needs to be at. Like, we shouldn't try to seek acceptance or money, like, from just anybody. Like, I think that should be a principle that we all could take that, you know, us getting funding from African Americans, you know, and we actually passing it down. I think that should be more the route that we should look at as far as you know, wondering why we didn't get accepted or why we didn't get into this BC firm or this accelerator. You know, I think we need to start from our own resources mm. and you know build it ourselves, and you know and then we can see how far we can grow within our own community. Right, yeah. kind of like the, the Booker T. Washington model. <laughs> yeah, like the, like the Negro Leagues. You know, the Negro <laughs> Leagues was the third largest business in the African American community. Integration happened. Now you have zero owners in MLB once we get 100% owners. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes back to that, you know. And the Negro Leagues not only fund baseball, but you had black taxis, mm -hmm. black sports writers, you know, you had the hotels, you had a whole industry that followed one product, you know, mm -hmm. and that same thing could happen. If we kind of, us as being entrepreneurs here, you know, we build in our own ecosystem. So not only will we be able to build, but, you know, we could go to a Sac State or we could go to a school, we could bring up our own interns, and then we could always kind of teach them know how to do it from the ground up you know mm -hmm. us having this mentality is very important that you know we look at that as a source as opposed to like looking outside of mm -hmm. trying to find funding absolutely yeah. mariah and uh veronica uh, you know just want to make sure it's you get you guys, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll make sure you get you in there for sure I'm curious to hear what the brothers have to say so. <laughs> No, but th there's obviously something to be said if you look at Black Wall Street, for example, mm -hmm. and, you know, what happened. I mean, obviously we have historical issues that we just can't ignore. Like some people like to sweep it under the rug and act like it's over, but it's not. Mm -hmm. um, there's multiple 
you know, historical issues that affect current dynamics. So among those are like the wealth gap and access to where there's fewer people who um, come from, you know, black communities that are able to access like the prestigious education, even K through 12, um, you know, our, our um, real estate taxes fund schools and that, you know, channels into, you know, what kind of schools we get into and are we, you know, mingling with the good old boys that end up, you know, becoming venture capitalists. Um, you know, and it, when it comes to women, you know, we had this conversation the other day where someone was giving a sports analogy. Well, women are typically, you know, funneled into playing football. So if you give me a, a football analogy, I'm probably not going to bond with you in the same way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And right, so right. a lot of it is like, as a black female founder, if I walk into a room, I don't pattern match, first of all, if it's a room full of, of white male venture capitalists. And they may have assumptions or, or implicit bias that associates me with a different role. And that historically has been subjective. It's been submissive. It's been hidden, right? Um, and so, you know, they look at what is the likelihood of this founder succeeding, of getting follow-on capital. And if they have some kind of implicit bias is affecting them, you know, it's going to transfer into other areas as well. So I think there's something to be said for, you know, us um, having our own, and Richard Kirby has a great report on um, who's a VC. Absolutely. Um, but we've also got studies that show that when we have black or female partners, that sometimes they feel like they're going to be looked at like they're favoring their own. And then we don't want to get into the position where we're also, um, you know, segregating ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a, a benefit to affinity groups that people can tap into. Um, but I think what we need to do is disrupt some of the um, patterns and, and uh, protocol for investment, such as referral from a CEO in a portfolio that a VC is invested in. Any VC will say that's their number one source of deal flow. And I understand that because they may get 2,000 submissions per year but they need to look at other criteria or make a mandate that we're gonna look at women and we're gonna look at people of color even if they don't come through our trusted networks or we're gonna do a little extra effort to mine for them. And when we start putting the pressure on for them to diversify their protocol on sourcing events, investments, then I think we'll see um, that we're not limited or having to wait for us to have our own and then everyone's able to capitalize on what we bring to the table. So it goes back to the theme of opportunity, and I'll just say the, um, I'll say something that's unpopular in the, in the African American community, but you know, I think that we have a, a, a duty to, as African Americans, launch incubators, accelerators, uh, be developers, be venture capitalists. So you have historically black organizations who were leading the charge and advocating on our behalf. That began in the 60s. We're in a new paradigm. So those tactics that worked then and maybe worked 10 years ago don't work in this space. And so the conversation, the narrative really needs to change and it begins with, with podcasts like this. So it's like, it's old news. It's, it's not new that we're not getting opportunities, that the percentages are dismal that there are no VCs. We have an African-American female VC right here. We have everyone on this panel is an African-American uh, entrepreneur, starting companies, launching companies, running nonprofits, developing buildings, enterprises. So this is, the narrative has to be about this as opposed to what's happening in the past, what continues to happen. It's, it falls on us in our era, this generation, to change the narrative because what what happened back then? It's not us going to. It's not going to get us to that next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just <laughs> yeah, I was agreeing. Yes. <laughs> One thing I've heard. I was talking to uh, Kwame Anku, who's a, a local uh, in, local investor, uh, brother uh, brother brother, of, um, you know, with a background from Ghana, and um, also uh, heavily, you know, has a. Um, a, a Group called the uh, Black Angel Tech Fund. Um, you know, found it basically invests in uh, African American founders. And one thing that he said I think was really, really important was, you know, for a long time there's been um, an idea that you know how do we get Google to hire more Black folks, right, or more Hispanics, or you know, more women, or how do we get you know these bigger companies, you know, to higher, make, diver make diversity a priority. But these companies have been hugely successful 
you know, without doing that, right? So if they're going to keep being successful without doing that, what's going to be the incentive for them? And he said the incentive is, the, 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 the alternative is going to be, you know, we have to be not only be self-starters, but we have to fund, you know, we have to support African-American and African businesses, and we also have to get investment for those, for, for those founders. And, you know, so it seems like, like in a lot of ways, just what I'm hearing there sort of mirrors, mirrors that, um, that idea. And it seems like Veronica, in a big way, that sort of mirrors what, what you're saying. Is it, am I right there? That, that's most definitely our new reality. Mm -hmm. So folks can either, either come along with the new reality or continue to, to, to live back there and yeah. report <clears throat> statistics and the problem as opposed to uh, developing solutions. Right, right. Yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. <clears throat> it, it is a new era. It's a new generation. And we have to treat it accordingly. And I think this generation is more, we're more for collaboration. Um, you know, I'll ask some of the older people, some of the older generation, like, hey, it's great to meet you. Who are you, finally? Glad, glad to finally <laughs> see you. Oh, check my LinkedIn. That's not welcoming in yeah. the slightest. Yeah. That's actually, um, it's very counterintuitive to what we're trying to do here, if that's building community. Um, and with regards to Google and things like that, it's that's great and all for us to talk about that. But like Veronica was saying, um, like people have been saying here, I'm more interested to find out what's the next Hoop Maps thing. Mm -hmm. I'm more interested yes. in what Cement yes. is going to be doing next. Um, something that already doesn't have the issue of a lack of diversity. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I have a, a, a meme that says, you know, don't beg for crumbs, bake cakes, and own the bakeries. Yeah. Yes. And it's a, along those lines. I have many friends in Google. Um, you know, I, I know both of the VCs at Google Ventures, to, to, two of the black VCs, the first two black VC at, VCs at Google Ventures. And I applaud those companies for what they're doing, but we can't wait. There's going to be people who are going to go in there, they're going to get their stock options and those, you know, nice salaries and they're going to influence the culture from within and more power to them. That's great. But we can't wait. We need to, you know, find disruptive means. Uh, we need to find ways to circumvent this problem with the wealth gap and having to get friends and family and whomever else to fund us to where we can even qualify to, you know, get angel investing. And that's going to take cooperation. That's going to take us paying it forward and introducing each other to other people, Absolutely. both inside and outside our respective affinity groups um, so that we can, you know, rise together and mm -hmm. create those um, cultures and lead. Because how can you expect a company like Google or any other, I don't mean to tar target Google, but how can you expect a predominantly white and Asian, say, company uh, that has no historical context or training in diversity, uh, very little liberal arts background, to understand those dynamics and lead? We can do that because we live in it every day. We have to live that existence every day. And that's why we talk about it so much. Not that it's our favorite topic. There's a lot of other things I can talk about in diversity. I got a kid, I got a life, hobbies, all kind of, you know, other things. But we live it, and so it's, it's a top priority for us. Um, so we know how to lead, and we know how to work together with other cultures. And so when we create our own and build diverse teams, we can be an example for how to grow that culture. Right. And it starts here. It starts here at this podcast. We got to just keep pushing, sort of start a tech revolution and what we're trying to do. Uh, because when it comes to black VC, VCs, they're, they're fairly new. Um, they're, they're out there, but they're still sort of, sort of new, new to the game. They only can invest in so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to notice that a lot, of, um, a lot of entertainers, rappers, or even sports people are starting to invest into uh, tech startups as well. But they're still new, and they don't know, they don't know, you know too much about that as well. So we just got to just keep it going, just keep talking. And I feel like one of the problems that I, I noticed is when it comes to uh, black black founders is really finding mentorship. Like we we're there, but it's just that like we don't have that one-on-one -on -one mentorship to really just help us get to that next step. And when we're introduced to VCs, they're just like, oh, okay, well, I like you, but what about this one? And they, they just leave us alone. But I think if we have that one-on-one -on -one mentorship from other successful VCs or black VCs out there, that'll definitely help us along. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's important you you mentioned. Uh, Mentorship, because uh, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I had mentors when I was growing up, and, and that was great. But we also got to have mentors that talk about financial accountability, right? We have to have mentors that talk about coding, that talk about, you know, um, the, the stock market, knowing the stock market, knowing what kind of stock that stock to buy, these kinds of things. Um, 
know, so it's important to have those mentors that, that are able to really um, talk about finances right. and those kinds of things as well. Um, you know, Nicholas, I, I know that, you know, you have Scare, Square Root Academy and you, you talk to a lot of young people in yeah. the community. And, and um, you know, how, how, how are we doing in Sacramento in terms of, like, bringing the young people along, you know, to the next generation um, with this um, with technology? <coughs> um, well, I think we're doing pretty good. The future is looking pretty promising. Um, we teach our kids, they know about three different coding languages almost. Oh, um, nice. good to know. So they're, they're experienced with the, they're experienced with tech. They're prepared from that standpoint. Um, on the other hand, um, this past weekend around the corner where my students go to school, four people were shot. One was murdered. So there is the tech thing. We're, we're, we can thrive. We can do great. There is nothing wrong with us, you know, no mentally. No lack of genius. Yeah, I'm sorry? No lack of genius. No lack of genius. No lack of genius. There's other systemic issues that are really plaguing us that mm -hmm. don't really allow us to thrive right. in these realms. You can't really be the best coder or the best maker when you're worrying about what you're going to eat that night. Mm -hmm. You can't do these things when you're worrying about um, how your teachers are going to antagonize you, really just paint you in this negative picture. The other day I had one of my students ask me, why do white people think we steal? So these are the things that we have to face in our community, um, not just in the tech realm, but just in the African American community. So there's lots of other issues that need to be addressed as well. Mm, gotcha. Which is why I think we need to just have the black VCs or more programs that fund programs like Skillroot Academy so they can be able to afford to just, you know, offer better classes or just to help their students out a lot more. Because like you said, the the people in your classrooms they're, they're very they're very talented. I mean very talented coders. I mean they can go on to big Ivy League schools, but it's just since they're in the community, they don't have uh, you know uh, access to a certain things or resources. So yeah. I think that's why we need to focus on more community programs so we can get more um, more students coming out. I mean because um, theoretically, you know, every weekend we are our kids. We focus on sports, but why not tech? Why not hack hackathons? Why not mm -hmm. get them enthused into it or whatnot? Why not teach them about at the whole Internet of Things or using Raspberry Pis, where you can like basically customize your house, where you can make your own, customize your doorbell to where you know you can have uh, create your own ringtone with your doorbell, something like that, or you know, yeah. or change your lights. I mean, something interesting. So I think we just need to basically just be able to fund more programs like, like, like he has, and then just make, uh, I guess, tech, technology a little bit more interesting so you can bring in more people into the programs. Yeah. You know, and with all the issues that are kind of facing us, it's really going to take like a unified front. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the thing, the, the saying, it takes a village, yeah. because that's exactly what it's going to take. Um, <clears throat> you know, just like Michael was saying, you know, a lot of people um, in our community are interested in getting their kids in sports and things of that right. nature. I actually had a parent tell me, um, no, my son doesn't need this. They're going to be a ball player. So they get their futures cut off from them before they even have a chance. Look at the stats. Labor shortage and engineers. You know, lottery with athletes. Exactly. But, you know, one of the points that you bring up about the systemic issues, which, mm -hmm. let's, again, you know, yes, we have to move on from history, but historically it's systemic and we're still experiencing those ramifications. They're still real. We're seeing, you know, the stats from everywhere from policing, to hiring, excuse me, with a uh, certain kind of name on a resume. Mm -hmm. I mean, these things are still real and persistent. Um, one of the exciting things about when I met Veronica is that she works in economic development and she's looking at communities like Del Paso Heights and working with organizations like the Urban League. Um, if we want our kids to thrive, we have to look at why aren't we bringing businesses in here? Why are we looking at the home value and not looking at other criteria for bringing a business in, like, okay, these people have uh, no school loans, and so they have low debt, and they actually own their homes, and maybe their homes aren't worth as much, but they do have disposable income. So let's look at some other you know, metrics for bringing businesses in, because the reason why there's crime, there's always gonna be high crime when there's low opportunity, when there's high poverty. So we need to start investing in those communities, and part of that is us, but we also need to seed from outside. Um, and you know, look at what's caught. Look at the systemic issues. Get the kids out. Bring opportunities in, and cross pollinate. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Veronica, what do you think? How do how do we bring the young people aboard this tech train? Um, it definitely starts with mentorship. Um, a lot of resources have been taken off of the table in terms of investing in mentorship programs, and we've been focused on surface level stuff that does not 
scratch beneath <laughs> the surface that needs to be um, scratched. So it'll take disrupting the educational institutions, mm -hmm. the school districts yeah. in these underserved communities that are funding things that shouldn't be funded over STEM. Yeah. Um, if you go to a, uh, a school, I won't use any neighborhoods, but there's some school where STEM is embedded in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So they're learning how to build apps, how to create television shows. How It's daily curriculum. If it's on the, it, a daily curriculum in one school, why shouldn't it be in another that's in another neighborhood, right. in another zip code? That comes down to education. Educating parents, educating uh, the folks that are in these communities who don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it is a right. And if it's happening over there in that neighborhood, it should rightfully be happening in their neighborhoods. Then we'll get our youth more um, focused and uh, genius in the areas that count. Yeah. Math, science, engineering. Those are the pathways to them becoming the next. Uh, Google or launching the next Google mm -hmm. but again it starts in the environment it starts in the neighborhood so how do we redirect resources to a five and a six-year-old in a Del Paso Heights to make sure that that they're getting those critical things that will enable them to not drop their college course because they couldn't pass the math class to get into the engineering program to get in into the the business program I think that's the the breakdown so oftentimes we hear about there's not enough or we're not doing this when people don't understand what lies beneath the surface. Exactly. Mm -hmm. How our kids are getting redirected to criminal justice and mm -hmm. communications by their professors because they failed that class. I failed statistics out multiple times, but I persevered. I was like, I'm not going to be a communications major. So we need to you know, it, have that mentorship in the colleges, mm -hmm. in the high schools, in the junior high schools to make it, it's not an option for you to not get through it. So what do we need to do to get you through it so that these STEM careers and pathways are an alternative, an option, a yeah. major option? Yeah, you bring up many barriers. These are real barriers, they're gatekeepers. And going back to being systemic and a lot of it being strategic. I mean, in business, we talk about barriers to entry. And a BC will ask, okay, you have this idea, but what's going to keep you know Facebook from squashing you like a cockroach, as they say yeah. on Shark Tank, right? Um, and and it's barriers to entry, and those can be relationships, they can be um, you know uh, IP, you know. But we have to look at what are the barriers in our society, and let's be real about it. Are these intentional barriers? Mm -hmm. You know, we just got the covenants removed here in uh, what was it, El Dorado hey, yeah, Hills? El Dorado Hills. You know, yes. those are barriers that were strategic. And yeah, one family questioned it, and the kids went and got the petition to, to get it removed up from the covenant. But how many families bought homes in that community and saw it and didn't didn't worry about it? <laughs> didn't worry about those covenants, right? And and uh, you know, going back to schools, I, you don't want to name schools here, but if you look at Menlo Park in in Silicon Valley, having a three point five million dollar endowment for their public schools versus Oakland, which has STEM schools that don't have uh, computer labs. You know, we have to look at things like that. And why is that if it's public education? You know, that goes back again, real estate. So those are, those are structural policy issues, so policy comes to play. Yeah. Um, but in, in terms of mentorship, yes, we need mentors that um, address some of those things. Um, we need mentors who tell us how to prosper in toxic cultures. Yeah. We need mentors who have been there, done that, and historically because, partially because of uh, things like Black Wall Street, we've had mentors go and hide. I got mine, you figure out how to get yours. Mm -hmm. Where we had, um, we had Troy Carter come at an indivisible meeting and say, when I came to my level, I got into these rooms and I'm like, oh, wow, there's all these black men here. Where were you? I never saw you. And he said, that's why I'm public. That's why I'm on Shark Tank, so you can see me and you can know that there's a path here for you. So we need all kinds of mentorship from how to dress, how to deal with um, bias, you know, uh, how to use law and, uh, you know, financial strategies, things that aren't on the surface. We need it across all levels. Gotcha. And I'd like to add on um, how to get just more kids enthused into tech. I mean, we need to treat our black founders like rock stars. Mm. I mean, I mean, Good if point. you if you treat them like rock stars, I mean, having having on part of on, on front of Black Enterprise Magazine, 
uh, on TV, on BET, having them give them a seat at BET Awards and whatnot, highlighting them. I mean, that will enthuse them because the only reason why a lot of kids want to be ballers, like you know, like like uh, Steph Curry, LeBron James, because they see them on TV all the time, and like that's just their own reality. But if we were to highlight more, more black founders, more successful black founders, I mean, just everywhere we go, I mean, they're like, oh, okay, I see Tristan Walker, he's here, he's there, and I want to be like him. You know, and I, I, I honestly follow Tristan Walker and other black founders, and you know, that sort of gives me more inspiration. So I think we just need to do a better job of highlighting more black founders, their success stories, where they're, where they're going, have a reality TV show. I don't know, but it's just, it, you know, if you, if you give the kids something visually, you know, uh, for them to see that's successful, that, you know, you, you, you sort of change the reality in their mindset. Like, you know what, I want to get in tech. Uh, they're doing it, I think it's easier. I'm casting all of y'all on the next. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, just, just being present. That being present is simply enough. Yeah. Um, I, I've had so many students tell me, like, oh, I want to be an, an electrical engineer. Like my co-founder, like co DJ is an electrical engineer. Um, students say, oh, I want to be an electrical engineer like Mr. DJ. I want to be a mechanical engineer like Mr. Nick. Or yeah. could Intel like Christina. Um, so it's, it's just being present, giving them something to aspire to be. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of people like us in, um, um, how do I put this, that have, that have had the privilege of being exposed to tech mm -hmm. and being successful in that industry. Right. Um, there's not a lot of those in like a Del Paso Heights or a G Parkway or a MetaView or places like that. Um, so they really need to see that because if they're not exposed to that, how will they even know that this is a possibility for them? Right? There's a, no yeah. way for them to know that. That's a really good point. And there was actually um, some research done around that uh, television show, A Different World, Oh yeah. Yeah. where enrollment in historically black colleges went up significantly mm -hmm. because of that show. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that show was taken off the air was because of some of the issues that they were addressing. Oh, yeah. Hot topics, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we know that what what we present, and that's part of why I got into CineShares, why I started CineShares, is to address, um, you know, the disparity in entertainment, where we have like 4% of Hollywood directors, it's up to 7% now since the EEOC came and investigated the last, the latest time. Uh, you know, we have 50-50 graduation rates of women, but 4 four now 7% of, of uh, studio directors are women, and when you look at the statistics of who's represented, even though diverse films perform well, we're not seeing that reflected in the movies that are chosen. R-rated films are not the, the most commercially successful as family films, but they continue to make more R-rated films. So it's not always economic drivers, they're cultural drivers, and media is known as soft power. There's actually um, some uh, political parties that were opposing China's influence in entertainment in the United States because of the issue of soft power. So the images that we see are very important and, mm -hmm. and even like you mentioned the economics in the, in the impoverished communities there are people who are doing very well in black communities but they're segregated by economics because you know for example an intern at Intel Capital told me I grew up in this you know uh, community in Florida and I've never seen poor black people he's black never seen poor black people but that's still segregated because the people that he grew up around the kids and men of you aren't seeing uh, Dominic Dante, do you have any thoughts on uh, how we can uh, help our young folks, uh, in, you know, get get involved in the tech tech sector? Uh, just like what a lot of you know people said on the panel, just by showing up, us being present, us being visible, and us just always pushing the the message that you know we got to create for ourselves. You know, we got to lead. You know, if people see us lead and you know see us in this place, then. They wouldn't desire to try to work for Google or Intel. They would try to start their own company. Mm -hmm. So as long as we push that narrative, I think more young people will, will go ahead and follow us. Yeah, exposure to everything, you know. Just to highlight the people that's doing it. You know, more Tristan Walkers out there. And really just put that just opposed to a Steph Curry or LeBron James and, you know, and let the, let the kids choose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. You know, I also want to just ask you guys um, before we close, um, you know, how, how, how are, is the city of Sacramento doing in terms of, like, um, addressing the issue of diversity in the tech sector? I know, Veronica, obviously, you're probably a good person to answer this question. I'm the you wrong know, person. Not to put you on the spot here, but obviously, you know, we have Lewis Stewart, right? Great guy, you know, chief of innovation here. Uh, we have things like the Rails Grants that are um, out there, you know, where, where, where you know, some of, some of these uh, tech Tech, uh, tech startups are getting some, some funding and hopefully that's going to grow. Um, 
you know, how is, is uh, Sacramento doing in terms of, the, at the city level, incorporating diversity into the equation? Uh, I would say that we're failing. Um, sorry, in all wow. honesty, where's the camera? Like, we, we are failing, and I, I would be failing if I wasn't honest, but yes. it's in, if you read the paper, uh, the business journal, the Sacramento Bee, it's no secret that we, the city, is not doing a good job. Mm. Um, and you've probably, I'm not sure if, if the, the reference was to the city of Sacramento posting for a diversity officer, <laughs> which w the city is, is, you know, in the process of recruiting for a diversity uh, officer, which kind of validates some of the points that were made around diversity and why diversity officers are hired to come into an organization is because numbers need to improve. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's no secret. We, uh, we have a lot of room, a lot of room for growth um, in this city of Sacramento. Wow! Well, thank you for your for your honesty <laughs> on, on that that question. Um, you know, so they they are hiring for a diversity officer mm -hmm. at the city. Uh, you know, in terms of like you know diversity, you know, in Sacramento making it a priority. Uh, do you think that? there needs to be sort of a philosophical change that needs to happen in terms of like it's one thing to like be able to make the hires, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, you're making the hires and you're hitting numbers, that's great, but if philosophically you're not sort of embracing the ideas behind why diversity is important, that's mm -hmm. another thing. So is it a philosophical issue at the city of Sacramento or? Um, how I'll do just you say that there needs to be a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. So clearly we've made some headway on the mayor and council side. We had our, you know, an African-American uh, male uh, prior to our current uh, mayor Steinberg. Mm -hmm. We have um, several African-American um, men on the council um, in addition to other um, ethnic diversities uh, or ethnic backgrounds on the council. So on that side of the house, there's been some progress. Mm -hmm. um, on the city manager side of the house, there needs to be uh, much more growth. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we are a, uh, the, the form of government that we have, you know, that's in a, ver a very important role. The city manager mm -hmm. is an extremely important role in the city of Sacramento. And so his leadership needs to be representative of uh, the face of the neighborhoods. Um, most of the challenges in the city of Sacramento are in what they call priority neighborhoods or uh, Afri African American neighborhoods, Asian American neighborhoods, Hispanic neighborhoods, um, some that were predominantly African American many years ago. So there needs to be more um, representation there in order to be able to, to, to represent the neighborhoods in which, which folks are appointed. Um, or hired to mm -hmm. represent. There has to be an understanding. You can't get in your car, leave the city, and drive to your home in El Dorado Hills um, and expect to change the fabric. I can say that because not only do I work for the city, but I live in the city. So I have a right as a citizen to, um, to voice that <laughs> concern. Mm -hmm. So um, you have to be proximate. You have to be able to understand your um, constituents in order to impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to answer that question, you know, in terms of like how the actual city government in Sacramento is doing in terms of addressing diversity in the tech sector? Um, I think they're, <clears throat> they're doing what they, what they need to do to an extent as far as empowering the people to actually get the work done. Um, my personal philosophy is uh, they can help us out all the more, but this is an inside job. Mm -hmm. This is something that we need to solve. Um, and it can't be solved by the government doing whatever it is they're doing or not doing. Um, <laughs> but I believe that the city is doing them. They're, they're trying. Um, but they don't just, I don't think that they have the know-how to actually solve this issue. They don't, just like you were saying earlier, they don't know, you know these areas that they're serving too well. They know the numbers, but they don't know the people. They don't know their lives. They don't know what they go through. They don't know their day-to-day. So they're trying to solve an issue, and they're missing so many variables in the equation. Mm -hmm. They're missing those diverse perspectives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, data helps with so many things. You know, data shows, okay, there's a problem. 
right? But data is not the end-all be-all. Technology is not the end-all be-all. There's always going to be a human element. Even mm -hmm. when you're designing a product, you can have the best you know, tech per se, but if you have horrible design, no one's going to want to use it because user interface, user experience is part of adoption. Um, so it's the same thing in, when you look at the city and, and, and addressing, you know, these cultural issues. If you have people who have the perspectives from the people in the community, they're going to contribute it. But you don't know what you don't know. You know, if you don't know that gentrification is an issue <coughs> in certain communities, you're not going to address it or have a perspective of how to solve it. I think it's great that the city cares and is leaning in. One thing I think that the city can do is apply principles from the private sector, and I'm a strong believer in, in public-private um, public partnerships. Um, they can apply what we call like customer journeys and um, you know, customer development. Go into the communities, go beyond just the little you know, groups that assemble themselves and identify you know, their own little hierarchies. Go beyond and really get street teams, boots on the ground, to see what do the people think about these problems. Is it even on their mind? If you engage them, they will start thinking critically, even if they don't know how to solve the problem, you'll get a lot of insight just from talking to them. And we need to deploy that, and that doesn't necessarily have to be a, a certain position. It can be you know, a whole consortium that's going out and collecting those insights. And I also think that people just need to go out, whether it's in a, a corporation or in a city, go out to those communities, eat in the restaurants, watch movies, read books, you know, um, interact so that you're getting, again, that cross-pollination, that comfort zone, and understanding what the dynamics are. Mm -hmm. And it's like you have practitioners and then you have tacticians. So the city has some great practitioners, but that only goes so far. Um, then where we, where our roles come into play, um, mirroring what Mariah said is being in the community, building yeah. in the communities, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and understanding how to work with the folks at City Hall to launch your business in the communities at scale. So I'm not talking about, you know, just someone that is looking at a, a, a storefront to um, launch a, a small business or a mom and pop business, but really looking at how other companies that are, you know, getting incentives from the city or uh, resources from the city. Look at what they're doing and, and what their makeup is. How many employees do they have? What is their revenue like? Those are the models that people that look like us need to be modeling. We need to be looking at creating, creating jobs. The city, my department, we're interested in job creation, wealth creation that spills into the communities. And so, um, we and those watching that are building businesses should be looking at some of these uh, lost communities or these communities that um, are not in the spotlight. You know, the, the next wave is in some of these communities in the city of Sacramento because the arena is pushing a lot of folks um, out of opportunities. Mm. People don't want to leave Sacramento. Um, and you have a, a, an influx of folks that are coming from the Bay Area because they can't afford to be in the Bay Area who will need other places to live. So there's a lot of uh, discussion around the, you know, the 10,000 housing units uh, that are uh, poised for downtown. A lot of people can't afford to live downtown. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you look at the cost, of, uh, the cost of housing, there's other opportunities for folks building businesses to be honing in on. Yeah. I think when it comes to Sacramento, um, they are doing something, but in, they need to move faster because the reason why is because Sacramento is only an hour and a half from the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. This is the world hub for everything tech. You have founders from all over the world who spend their time and energy to come all the way out to San Francisco and we're only an hour and a half away. Why can't we be the alternative to Silicon Valley? Because I know you know cities like Austin, Boulder, Colorado, Seattle, Atlanta, they have their own tech hubs that are literally almost like better than us. So we're only an hour, hour and a half away. Why can't we figure it out? Because we have an opportunity that we can we can harness uh, just by being close to Silicon Valley. So we could be uh, Silicon Valley 2.0 or basically an extension, just in case you know if you if it costs too much, you can come up to Sacramento. And you can host your company here, and then Silicon Valley is only an hour and a half drive away for a meeting. So, so we need to move faster. Yes. We need to move faster, move and, faster. and understand how to uh, partner mm -hmm. with the city and the county and the state to move faster. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. faster we grow, the faster we're 
growing companies, um, exiting companies, hopefully for everyone on this on this panel, yeah. then the quicker it'll move. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's about a movement. We're creating a movement here around what we're uh, looking to advance uh, in the tech space as it relates to African Americans in the tech space in the city of Sacramento and how we complement the larger ecosystem that, that we've been working to grow. So we need to take ownership and, and responsibility. Absolutely. Speaking mm -hmm. of ownership and, and Silicon Valley and um, partnerships, uh, Veronica and I are co-founders, or co-directors rather, in um, the Founder Institute Sacramento. Yes which is a, a branch out of um, Silicon Valley. It's headquartered in Silicon Valley. It's in 60 countries, 170 cities. We've created over 20,000 jobs, have billions in portfolio value. Our companies have raised over 600 million. Uh, Dante and Dominique are mentors. Um, we'd love to have all of everyone here participate. We are being in, uh, deliberately diverse, working really hard to attract diverse applicants. Um, and the city has been incredibly supportive, but you know that's part of, we're, we're identifying mentors bringing them in, connecting them with up-and-coming founders, and we're modeling you know, that um, Silicon Valley model, model in that regard, and the mission of FI is to globalize Silicon Valley. So we look forward to um, more partnerships, especially with the city, in moving that forward. We, you know, we got an honorable mention at um, Greater Sacramento Economic Council. We had a specialist, um, Rick Rasmussen, come in from um, UC Berkeley, and he referenced the Founder Institute's uh, canvas in how they evaluate ecosystems. Um, in Canada, they have, Mon and Montreal is actually giving graduates of the Founder Institute stipends to go out and launch their company so they can nice. overcome things like, you know, we have a minimum tax in, in Sacramento that for, you know, 70%, 80% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck is a hurdle. You know, we have um, costs of incorporating, of filing the, the registrations required to raise uh, equity. Those are all expenses and legal fees. So if we can support those founders that have this hidden genius in overcoming those historic and persistent barriers, we'll get a whole lot more diversity in growing this ecosystem. Excellent. Great. Well, I think this has been a very encouraging discussion. I just want to say to all of you that all everything that you're doing really inspires me and in my work that I do as the Business Journal uh, covering technology. And, um, you know, any parting thoughts uh, before we close our discussion? Anyone uh, want to put anything out there on the table about diversity that's, uh, we should, that's important for our audience to know? <clears throat> um, well, I'll start, especially start just by talking to you guys here, I guess, at the table. Um, I really believe in the, everything that we're saying in this conversation. I would love to continue the conversation. And I don't, I don't, when I talk about things, I'm not just talking. I want us to actually work together, to build together. So I'm extending the invitation if you guys want to work on something or if you guys want to do anything with regards to building the community, I'm available and offering my services in whatever capacity I can. Excellent. You know, I was just um, watching a video interview that you did with uh, oh. Startup Sacramento earlier. I got like a third of the way through and I had to jet out because I'm going to come back to this. So I bookmarked it. So with that said, I want to thank Jeff Bennett. Mm. Goodman for what they're doing yes, and, they do and I think it's a great example you know that diversity does include you and the fact that Jeff took the leadership to assemble us together is a great example um, and we you know we, again of cross-pollination and we really um, appreciate you lending your resource and your um, platform to discuss this issue I think that's a, just a great example of what we need to see more of um, also Tristan Walker came up several times and he <laughs> is a shining star and you know we all love to sing his praises and so I, I'm glad that so many people are aware of him and that he is um, being visible. But I also want to mention some names that we might not hear often. And I this is not an, a, an inclu is it's not a, um, a comprehensive list by any means. But I want to give a shout out to um, black female founders like Stephanie Lampkin, mm -hmm. Joelle Burke, Macy Peterson, Heather Hiles, one of the first black female founders to raise over a million dollars. And there was only 13 when um, Catherine Finney did her report, Project Diane, which talks about black female founders. Um, so Heather Hiles has actually a successful exit as well. Um, again, Catherine Finney, who did the report, Project Diane, and VCs and angels like Arlen Hamilton, Keisha Cash, uh, Mandela Schumacher, Schumacher Hodge. Um, she's married now, so I, I don't know if I have her last name right. Um, also, her name is to be my um, Laura. 
Wildman Powers, I think it is, at Code 2040, a nonprofit organization that is training up, um, actually not even training, they're identifying very high profile, prestigious um, uh, graduates and, and students in um, CS programs and placing them in, um, in high profile tech companies um, and also HBCU to start up. So those are just some resources, again, cross-pollination, we're very uh, close to the Bay Area. You can look these people up, go have coffee with them, tell them Mariah sent you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, let's keep building. Absolutely. Anyone else? Uh... Uh, same here. I'd like to thank Jeff uh, and the panel for just being here and just talking about this. Now I know you guys and now I have someone to, you know, follow up with afterwards. I would definitely like to build with you guys and connect and just, just build a network overall. And I think it's, we're just going to keep it short and sweet. I mean, if Silicon Valley is not going to change the diversity, hey, we're just going to go off and build our own Wakanda. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, just a reminder to everyone to look at some of our underserved neighborhoods. I would love to partner on, you know, helping land a launch pad for your companies. We need incubators and accelerators in the hood yes. that are not operating just, you know, out of other spaces, but home bases of their, of, of your own, of our own. So, um, you know, there's, there's ways to make things happen. So. You have any funny thoughts, uh, Dominic, Dante? I'll just, you know, enjoyed our conversation and let's keep it going. Okay. I just want to also give a special uh, shout out to Jeff. Thanks, Jeff, for uh, hosting us here. And also give a shout out to uh, Trifecta for hosting us in uh, their studios today. Um, with that, oh, we'll go ahead and close. Uh, thanks for watching and uh, have a great day. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for your <laughs> Thanks, guys. Back <laughs> <laughs>